the optimal life. My brother. What's going on, Nate? How's life? Good, man. Crazy busy with kids, family, work, you know, all the usual, but everything's good. All good. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Uh, when was the last time you were in the States? Actually, I was thinking of this the other day. This is actually the longest I've ever been out of my own country in my life, um, and not by choice, but I haven't been in the States since March, and I was in Florida last. Jeez, dude. It's been that long? <laughs> Almost six months, I think, yeah. Yeah. What's the protocol right now with coming in from Canada to the U.S.? So the protocol coming in, into the U.S. is really, I mean, I can come anytime I want. The U.S. is pretty lax with, you know, a citizen coming back in the country and even my wife and kids. But the problem is, is coming back into Canada, they're way more strict. Um, they require a two-week quarantine when you come back into the country. So that really rules out <laughs> any travel for us because the kids are in school and stuff like that. So. Oh, geez. Yeah, so I'm sure your parents, parents actually came across uh, <laughs> in the summer and had been stayed for a while. Um, they have a, a cottage up here, so they quarantined with us for two weeks and were able to stay. But that's that's the only thing we've been able to do. How, how did you go from Cleveland, Ohio, to Charlotte, North Carolina, and ultimately ending up in Canada? How, how does that happen? <laughs> well, actually, you missed a step. I lived in Chicago. Oh, that's um, right. For a while as well. So my wife and I met in Chicago, and then a company I used to work for moved us to Charlotte. Um, so we got married, lived in Chicago, then moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, and then uh, I'd ultimately started my own business down in Charlotte with my partner, and we were, uh, I was working from home a lot, my wife was staying at home with the kids, and she was, as soon as I started working from home, she was on my back to get back up to uh, Canada where she's from and be close to her family and, and all that, so that's kind of how it happened. Happy wife, happy life. Uh, ended up back in Canada. Wow. <laughs> you would have never thought in your wildest dreams you'd be a Canadian. Are you a, You're not a Canadian citizen, are you? No, no. I'm uh, I'm a permanent resident. So essentially, I have a green card um, just to live in Canada permanently. Um, but yeah, I, I'm never going to give up my U.S. citizenship. No, because I don't have to, and I don't want to. So. No, no, no. So where where in Canada are you? I am in a town called Ancaster, Ontario, which is just outside of Hamilton. Um, Hamilton, Ontario, and we're about 45 minutes from Toronto. So nice. when I tell people, it's basically between Buffalo and Toronto. We're about an hour from Buffalo and an hour from Toronto. Nice, nice. And, and what? why is everything in Canada so strange? You tell me this week you're celebrating Can Canadian Thanksgiving. <laughs> why is everything know, so man. different I, I don't in know, Canada? But they they kind of march to the beat of their own drum up here. Um, yeah. It's very... It's a very chill environment everyone's pretty laid back and obviously friendly and they kind of avoid conflict but i uh i don't know man i think they're I, I think their thanksgiving is based around their harvest season so that's kind of when their their farmers start the harvest and that's what they're celebrating i don't think it's the same celebration of uh the pilgrims and the indians like it is in the u.s but yeah i could be wrong so so what is thanksgiving like in Can is it pr it's pretty much just the same kind of thing it is, but everyone yeah. says American Thanksgiving so much better because you got the football, everyone's off work, it's a big celebration. Here it's more of just a you know, family get-together and then people have the day off work on Monday, but it's not the same. It doesn't have the same you know, kind yeah. of uh, yeah. feeling as American Thanksgiving does. Yeah, there's, I'll tell you what, American Thanksgiving is one of the best days of the year with the football games, the food, the drinks family it's funny because you know. up here people actually take off a lot of my buddies I met up here take off work on that Thursday of American Thanksgiving and some of the bars have like American Thanksgiving parties where they have football all day and oh, they yeah. roast turkeys and all that so yeah it's beautiful yeah man yeah
So, uh, so your your path has been incredible. We wanted to bring you on and talk a little bit about the the entrepreneurial spirit that you uh, that you obviously have had for a long time. So let's talk about your company. You you're you have a company called Brew Movers. What is Brew yeah. Movers? You there? Yeah, I'm here. What what I'm is here. what is Brew Movers exactly? So Brew Movers, um, we are a logistics company that specializes in the craft brewing industry. So we really focus on anyone that um, is either in the craft beer space, the kombucha space, craft sodas, anything that's in the craft beverage space, we focus on and we help manage their logistics, both inbound and outbound. So when I say that, I mean a brewery obviously makes beer and and ships it out to their customers and their distributors, but also we help get their ingredients, their hops, their grain, their fruits, their cans, their kegs, all the stuff they need to make beer. We help also get that into the brewery. So we do help on the inbound side, and then we also help with the finished product, getting it out to um, distributors and consumers. How in the world did you get involved in something like that? <laughs> it's a funny story. So my partner, um, Adrian Graham, and I started uh, Hatch Transportation back in 2014 um, out of Charlotte. And it's basically a small trucking operation. Um, we own a fleet of trucks. We still own it today. Um, we kind of run general commodities all over the U.S. and the southeast um, of, the, of, the US, of the U.S. And then we got into the brokerage space as well. So we started doing, you know, general freight brokerage for for anything from general commodities, you know, textiles, water, food. Um, and then around 2017, my brother, Kyle Arnold, is actually a brewer at Southern Grist Brewing in Nashville, Tennessee. So him and the owners there reached out to us and said, hey, we are really struggling with shipping and logistics. We, we make great beer. We have no idea what we're doing with shipping. And we're, we feel like we're getting burned by a lot of these big companies. So my partner and I sat down and we started helping them out. Um, and they were really impressed with what we were doing and how we were handling um, their freight, getting it to them you know, without damages and getting their beer out without damages. And the price point was right for them. So then we sat down and we said, hey, if these guys are a small craft brewery in Nashville and they're struggling, there has to be thousands of these same, same kind of guys out there that are struggling with the same issues. And that's when Brewer was, was formed. And today we're working with about 1,200 breweries across the U.S. and Canada. Dude, what, what are some of those issues exactly? Give, get, what are some of the specific pain points that those breweries were dealing with? So first of all is just not knowing the market and the space and what pricing is right. So they'd get quotes from you know, some of the big companies, the UPSs, the FedExs out there, and they really had nothing to compare it to. They, they would just, they felt like they were you know, maybe getting taken advantage of because they're a small operation. They don't have, a, they don't do a ton of volume, so they really don't understand the price and where they, what they should be paying. They were just paying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we start doing our analysis and look and say, "Hey, you guys are overpaying not only on shipping your beer out, but you're getting hammered on on pricing shipping your your uh, your hops and your ingredients inbound." So that was the first thing is price. I mean, we're saving these guys tons of money. The second thing was damages. These guys are, you know. They're producing beer, but they're not producing Anheuser-Busch amounts of beer. The beer they produce is is coveted, and it's a small amount, and they're shipping it out to distributors. But when a pallet or two of beer shows up and it's completely damaged, I mean, it does no good for anyone, and that's their whole business. So they were just experiencing tons of damages, um, and that was really the second point that we were able to kind of help with. But why why would the beer craft, the craft brewery, these uh, ingredients, the other, all these types of equipment that is in this industry why would that be any different than maybe some other small commodity or other small type of uh, business or is it not different do all small you know commodity type businesses face these same issues 
I mean, I think a bit of both. I think a lot of the, a lot of them do. Um, we're just for we just kind of fell into this this niche and we're focusing on this niche. So we've really learned the space and learned the market. And we're able to a lot. A lot of times, what's cool about it is the, the community is so small. If you go into a small brewery in Cleveland, Nashville, Chicago, anywhere, everyone knows each other. Everyone, you know, collaborates. It's not the competitive nature that you see in some of these other industries where you might own a, I don't know, you might own a small business that makes widgets, but the guy down the road in the in an industrial park also makes widgets, and you guys just are battling all the time for sales, and you're not helping each other out. Mm-hmm. The craft beer space is completely different. Where hey, I own a brewery in town, you own a brewery across town, let's help each other out because we're driving traffic to our town and making it kind of a destination for craft breweries and people, well, it's almost like a tourist type thing where people are going to these towns and trying to hit all these breweries. So everyone helps each other out and it's kind of a unique uh, environment in that sense. How would you define craft brewery? Craft, a craft brewery, I think, well, there actually is a, there is a definition. I, I don't want to give you the wrong information, but it's a certain amount of barrels of beer made a year. Um, so, Believe it or not, like Yingling is actually the largest craft brewery, in, I think, in the U.S., and you don't think of them as a craft brewery, but it's because they're family-owned, they're, 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 they're a family-owned business, and they also um, make under a certain amount of barrels per year, I believe. Um, so that's really how it's defined, but for us, I mean, I define a craft brewery as, you know, a place that has one or two locations, maybe three, and it's a family-friendly place where people go with their families and not just to sit there and you know necessarily just sit there and get drunk they like to go and have have you know fun with their families and have beer and food trucks and it's more of a community type thing right um, so that's kind of how i look at it yeah so and we'll link this article up i was reading the forbes article and it kind of talks about the way you guys evolved and how it all came about so the, the thing is you guys started with these beer festivals is that correct yeah so that's another thing um that people are really struggling with is these beer festivals um they were, they were, you know, everyone's heard of them. These big beer festivals. They have 50, 100 breweries coming to town, mm-hmm. and and usually the breweries will show up themselves and pour the beer. So you, as you're as you're having the beer, you could talk to the, the guy who made it and say, hey, tell me about this beer. Tell me, you know, why it's unique. So a lot of these festivals were going on, and people were showing up to pour their beer, and the beer wasn't there. So you know, imagine flying across country to San Diego for a beer festival, and all of a sudden you're like, well, my beer is not here, so I'm just here at this festival and I have a booth, and there's no beer. So that was happening a lot more than you think it would. Um, and then we got involved in that space and we've probably did 40 festivals last year. We were on pace to do like 60 or 70 this year and obviously COVID happened, but we were, I, I wanna knock on wood right now, but we were flawless out of the 40 we did. We, every every festival, all the beer showed up. That's incredible. So you're, people would actually show up for their to their booth and the beer would not be have been delivered? That's right. That's right. The beer was somewhere in the middle, in transit at a terminal somewhere, and they had no idea. And they were they bought the tickets. They showed up, and hey, we have nothing to pour. So they're they're sitting there with their hands in their lap, and it was not a good scene for a lot of these folks. So this is such a unique industry because this is the type of thing that most people, unless you're in it, you know nothing about freight, you know nothing about carriers, transportation, logistics, right? It's it's something that the general public doesn't think about at all. They think about, oh, this was an amazing festival. They don't think, how did this all get from point A to point B? How was it all arranged? How was it all you know produced, et cetera? So um, get, take us a little bit, whatever you can, through your guys' process. How does it start? Where does it start? How do you deal with the vendors, suppliers? customers etc yeah sure it's it's definitely you nailed it it's definitely one of those things everyone takes for granted but it's like anything else i mean you go to the store you buy something you don't think about how it got there you're just happy you got it right so it's really in every industry is people just 
kind of sweep shipping and freight under the under the rug. But as a business owner, you you understand that that's a large cost. I mean, that's that's a large piece of your cost for that product or that um, consumable item. But for us, um, the the way it works is basically if someone's let's just say someone's hosting a, a, a beer festival in Cleveland, they're a brewery, they're hosting a hundred hundred breweries from around the country. Well, you know that's Canada coming up. Some other countries are coming in. Hey, brother. They would reach out. You, you know that Sorry? that you know that that Cleveland Beer Festival is coming up this month. Actually, I think. Is it? Are they actually going through with it? I, I don't know. I think they're they're doing something for the week, but I think there's it's kind of spread out, or they're doing something virtual. I, I'm not exactly sure. I, I've heard yeah. about it. I think yeah. people are doing a lot of virtual stuff now, where they you, you sign up, you buy a ticket, and they mail you a box of the beers that would show up. So they might mail you 25 different beers, and then you hop on uh, a Zoom call and you could talk about them and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah. I haven't Sorry, heard too many that are going off. Sorry to interrupt um, you, but go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're good. So anyways, just the way it kind of works is, is if you're hosting a beer festival during normal times, um, you reach out to Brew Movers, my team. We would talk talk about the festival, kind of when it, when the date is, what's happening, who, who's involved. And then we kind of, once we get a list of the breweries that you're inviting um, that, are, that are coming to the festival, we would reach out to all the breweries. And honestly, we have a pretty good relationship with with more, more breweries than you'd think. I mean, a lot of times we get a list of 50 breweries and we already know 40 of them. So we reach out to all the breweries, coordinate with what they're shipping, when it's ready, um, how much they're shipping, and then we kind of have a, it's, we, have, we actually use a Google form that they fill out. We gather all the data, and then we start um, strategically setting up the pickups so they time up with the festival, making sure that they're at least two or three, if not four days ahead. Um, the problem, the only problem is, I will say, is that a lot of people and brewers obviously want their freshest beer there. They don't want to ship a beer a month in advance that's super hoppy, um, and, and really has a good a flavor profile to it that's going to sit in a warehouse for two weeks before the festival. That's, they just don't like that. It's just yeah. not their thing. They want it to be as fresh as possible, right? Right. So that's another thing um, that we deal with. But And then once it's once it's scheduled, we, we schedule all the pickups. We, we have a team that tracks it every step of the way and keeps the festival organizers as well as the brewery um, in the know about where it is and when it'll be there. And then when it shows up, we have a checklist. We send everyone um, an email and and saying thanks, it's it's there, it's ready to go. So they know before they even get on a flight to head to the festival that their beer is already there. My God, the white glove service that you are. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's uh, I guess it's good to be in, in a white glove service business where the beer, where beer, these festivals are beer. So we get to go to these festivals and not only talk to people and enjoy enjoy their company, but we get to enjoy amazing beer all the time, which is a huge plus. What are some of your favorites? Um. Some of my favorites, um, I would say, obviously, I have, I'm biased, but Southern Grist, my brother's brewery down in Nashville, is probably one of my favorites. Uh, there's some others. Um, Side Project out of St. Louis is really is really an awesome brewery. Um, there's a, a brewery called Civil Society down in Jupiter, Florida, which we really like. Um, uh, Resident Culture in Charlotte, North Carolina, has some of our good buddies. Um, we really enjoy their beer. So yeah, there's there's lots uh, there's lots out there, and they're all good, and they're all unique in their own ways, but. It's a, uh, it's a cool space to be in, man, for sure. So, and you're running all this from one location. You're running your business. No, so, no we, we so we're based in Charlotte. My partner's in Charlotte. He runs the office down there, where we have a team in Charlotte, and then I run an office up here in, in Ontario. So we do a lot of cross border stuff. Um, Ontario is a little different because they have the LCBO, which is Liquor Control Board of Ontario, that really controls everything. But we ship beer into the states for um, breweries like collective arts and folks like that um so i run office up here in toronto and then we have uh a small office out in denver um we have some people out in denver colorado and then we have some folks down in miami uh florida as well 
So I'd say four locations right now is, is what we're working with. And this company was just started in the last few years, correct? Yeah, we're just right around three years old. So. Jeez. Uh, well, that's incredible, brother. I mean, when, when you're sitting there in Charlotte and you're working for the freight carrier company at that time, um, what is how, how does somebody have the balls to just go from being an employee to ultimately taking the, the jump, the leap of faith, and, and creating their own business? What was your process? So for me... Um First thing, you have to be willing to take a risk. And I know that sounds cliche and everyone's like, oh, you got to take risks to, to make money and to be successful. But for me, really, that was it. I mean, I, first of all, I took a risk, but I, I left a really good job in Chicago to take a chance at this new new company um, down in Charlotte that is now one of the biggest in the world. Um, they they, they, they kind of sold me on you know this dream of moving my family to Charlotte and growing with their business. And almost immediately when I got down to Charlotte, unpacked my stuff, checked into the office, I kind of had that feeling like, man, what did I just do? I left this great job in Chicago. You know, I love Charlotte as a city. It's amazing. The weather's great, but like, I think I might have made maybe taken a couple steps back as far as my professional, you know, as far as my as my salary and my commission and all that stuff went. I knew I did, um, but I was willing to take that chance. So there was a risk in that, and then almost immediately, I, I just felt like I needed to do something else. I, I just felt like it has to happen now. Um, we, you know, we my wife was pregnant with our first child, and I said, now it's now or never, really, before I start having kids. So. I just bought one truck. I just got went out. I borrowed some money from my father-in-law, put some of my own money in. I bought one truck, um, and I just started running it on the side. I was working at the company full-time, managing a team of 30 sales reps, and I was on my phone kind of on the download, just like running this truck around the country with, my, with people I knew in the business. Um, and then met my partner, Adrian, um, and he's like, dude, this is crazy. This is an awesome space. Like, I'm super interested. He's a huge numbers guy, so he starts crunching his numbers, and he's like, all right, there's money to be made here. You know what you're doing. Let's let's talk. And then he invested some money as well in the business. We kind of grew it slowly, bought a few more trucks, and uh, that's. And then we just kind of built it up from there. But I, I would say that getting back to your question, it was just taking a chance, man. I just yeah. said, you know what? It's now or never. I'm taking this risk, and I'm going to make it happen, and just never look back. So many people say they're going to do something, they dream about it, they think about it, they plan it, they plan it, they plan it, and five years goes by and they're still planning it because they're waiting for the, the quote-unquote right opportunity. And I don't think that opportunity, I don't think there's ever the right perfect time. I think you just have to make that first step. you got to put something in motion like you did. you gotta, you got to say, you know what, I'm investing. I'm going to take whatever I have in my savings. I'm going to get borrow, take a loan, whatever it takes to... Take that first step, and you're probably thinking to yourself, I have no clue if it's going to work out, and if it doesn't, I'll continue to grow my career otherwise, but without that first step, without you doing it, I mean, you never get there. Dude, you're exactly right. I mean, it's, it's, you have to have balls. Like, I hate to say it, but it, it, that's what it comes down to. I mean, people get so comfortable and so, you know, just caught up on the day-to-day, -day, like, all right, I'm going to check into this nine-to-five job, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, I'm making good money, my family's happy, and, that, and honestly, that's great. If people, I tell people all the time, like, hey, it's not for everyone. If you're if you're making a good salary, you're happy, your family's doing well, you're successful. Like, that's awesome. The world needs people like that. But if you're checking in your job every morning, like, man, this sucks. I I had this great idea, but I, I'm too scared to take it. Like, I always tell people, just do it, just go for it. Because at the end of the day, if if you're willing to take that chance, there's first of all, there's a good chance that's going to work. And if it doesn't, you can always make money elsewhere. There's all you can always go back to your old job. You can always find another job. It's not you're not talking about investing 
50 million bucks and just losing it the next day you're talking about maybe a couple hundred grand or you know whatever it takes just to, just do it because the opportunity is going to go by and someone else is going to do it and you're going to be still at your nine to five job hating life so yeah yeah it's perfectly perfectly sad it's such a uh, there's so many people that want to do the, these kind of things whether whatever it is in their life and they're just always talking about it they never take that first step and it's just you just got to take a step and it, it can't be a step of just planning more you just got to do it like you did with that truck and you got to be uh, aggressive i mean you must have been working the longest days of your life at that time between the <laughs> my two. wife thought i was crazy she's like so you're you're talking to this truck driver all night long and then you're going the next morning to work and you're also talking to like hundreds of other truck drivers and all your employees and I, I just said like I, yeah. I got to do this like I, I it's otherwise I'm not I would beat myself up over it if I didn't do it so I just had to do it and I, I just made it work and it was the best decision I ever made I mean don't, and just to back up I don't want to it's not all it's not all you know great and sunshine and roses it, there was obviously tough times in there my partner and I at one point in time actually about a year so so after I bought that truck and my partner came on another about a year and a half later we bought some more equipment. I, I quit my job. I just left my, I was at the company that moved me to Charlotte. After two years, I just said, look, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm doing my own thing. Um, I paid myself a salary and I just went for it. And then about six months into that process, my partner and I looked at our bank account one day. The market had taken a terrible downturn. Um, rates were terrible. Fuel was high. We just weren't making the money we thought we were making. And I remember specifically, we had a meeting one day, him, his wife, my wife, and myself at a coffee shop in Charlotte. We had, he has a little girl my age, the same age as Lily. They were running around and, and playing, and we were talking about like me taking a pay cut and what we were going to do because we weren't going to be able to afford um, like to pay our drivers and to pay for fuel in the next month if we didn't. So I literally had to take a pay cut. I remember it was like the toughest conversation we ever had. Um, and then you know, six years later, here we are, um, and we're killing it. So. Dude, that's amazing. It wasn't, you know, it, it, there was some, there was some, uh, some obviously some bumps, but of course, and you know what? There may be other bumps uh, throughout the rest of your career. As it, that's just the way it goes. But now you've got you've a, you've got a sustainable business model that's growing. I mean, it seems like you're just scratching the surface. You're only three years young, and uh, the potential has to be astronaut. When you look at the market overall, you must see tremendous potential for growth. Yeah, I mean, we're right now. Year, it, it, this is crazy. My partner and I talked about this last night. Actually, we're we've grown thirty percent year over year from last year, and that's with COVID. I that's mean, huge. I think wow. without COVID, we might have grown another. We might have grown fifty or sixty percent this year. Um, and like you said, it's the, the craft beer space. Obviously, you know, this whole pandemic thing has, has hurt a lot of small businesses, which sucks. But people love beer. It brings people together. It's not going anywhere. Um, the, the space. There's about seventy five hundred breweries in the U.S. right now. And I think there's another 1,500 planning. So, and we have we do business with maybe 1,200. So it, it's just going to keep the trajectory is going to keep going up. And then you don't even think about all the people that are involved in the space, the people that make the tanks and the kettles, the people that make the kegs, the people that make hops, the, the malt farmers, the fruit guys. Like, there's so much. It's it's just an endless. You know, it's it's really endless the potential of where this could go. Sure. And if it so. Yeah. How many trucks do you have going? So we got we have six right now. Um, and we're, you know, we're, we always talk about what the move is. We want to, and right now the move is we're focusing on growing group movers. We really are enjoying the space. It's successful. We're finding that it's it's where we should focus our energy. Um, in that same sense, we we use our trucks. Um, we have a lot of customers that, that utilize our trucks, and it's been a good business. But we just, you know, it's that market is so volatile with 
the rules and regulations around trucking, the fuel prices, the, you know, the driver shortages, this, so that's to us, like more of, we kind of want to see what happens in that trucking space, but we definitely are going to focus our energy on brood movers. Yeah, that's beautiful. I remember uh, when I had Beanie Wells on the podcast, it was the first episode ever. Uh, you remember Beanie, the running back at Ohio yeah. State and uh, oh, yeah. played in the NFL. Beanie, uh, Beanie's got a, a trucking operation too out of Columbus. He's got, I think, oh, cool. a good five or ten trucks. I'm just thinking maybe there's something there with you guys. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, hook me up with Beanie, man. Yeah, you never know. I mean, you never, <laughs> you never. I think he's that was his like full time uh, business kind of his focus outside of once he retired from football. Um, I know he was involved in restaurants and some other things, but that trucking thing was he was really excited about. It's funny. We're there's a lot of actually. I've I've come across a few ex athletes, pro athletes, and stuff that are in the trucking space. Kirby Puckett actually yeah. owned a huge trucking company out of Minneapolis at one point in time, and I remember talking to those guys. Like, there, it's it's funny how how people get involved in these different industries after their pro career. But yeah, it, it, yeah. I've seen a lot of it. So I got to tell you, for all the people that are 25 and younger, they just have no clue who what you just met, Kirby. Who? <laughs> Look him up. He's a legend. He is. He's great. He's Legendary. fucking great, man. Great. He passed away, right? Not too long. I ago. thought he did. I was gonna say. I was gonna say the yeah. late Kirby Puckett, I believe. If you looked yeah. at him, you would have never known he was an athlete. Don't, I mean, don't judge don't, a book by its cover, right? Exactly. You know? He looked like a guy who drank a bunch of beers. Yeah, he looked like John Daly with a baseball bat. <laughs> exactly. Um well, dude, this is such a cool thing that you're doing. I mean, it, it sounds fun. It sounds un- – I guess one of my questions is is that uh, uh, other people that might – oh, this is great. This is easy. I'm going to go get in and I'm going to do the same thing. I, I'd imagine there's still a barrier because at the end of the day, it comes to reputation and re- and most importantly, relationships. Yeah. It, I mean, let's be honest. We're not reinventing the wheel. There's been companies helping – you know, niche market spaces for years with transportation and logistics. But for us, we are so ingrained in the community and and I keep harping on this, but it really is a community. So we know all the breweries, we know all the vendors, we, we're at the conferences, we're at the beer festivals, like people know us by name, you know, and they, they see, hear brew movers and they say, oh, we use brew movers as well. So there's really, we're ingrained in this community where, you know, someone could try and, and sure come in and offer a similar type of service. But I think we're so far ingrained now that people, and if people are so loyal that I don't think people would, would turn their backs on us you know I, I, there's no reason to so how have you developed those relationships what's what's the secret <laughs> just drink a beer man going to these <laughs> sitting at bars sitting at breweries and just you know shooting the shit with guys that that uh that are very similar a lot of a lot of breweries um are owned by young younger guys like you know that are in the same age group as us and and enjoy the same activities they enjoy sports they enjoy beer so it's really a natural it's not like you're going into some corporate environment with suits and ties I and mean, you're talking to guys with wearing Jordans and a pair of jeans and sitting next to them at the bar talking sports. So it's really a natural type. That's amazing. (laughs) And that fits your personality to a fucking T. I mean, (laughs) just to a fucking T. That's incredible. You know what I'm thinking? I'm envisioning this now in a few years. You've got, you've got Luke Bryan singing, drink a beer as your, uh, brand ambassador with, with brew movers. How how about that? How about that? (laughs) Drink a beer. (laughs) That'd be sweet. It's a great tagline. Just drink a beer. Nothing a beer can't fix. There you go. There's probably quite a few of these. Oh yeah. Um, do Do you have any thoughts of getting into the uh, any other further alcohol space, or is this kind of this beer universe? It's it's a little different. Um. Yeah, we've talked a lot about wine. We've done some business with some wine companies. Wine's a pretty similar operation. Um. And then, like I was saying before, kombucha. We do a lot of kombucha companies because 
while it's not alcohol, they still have the same type of process to brew their kombucha. Yeah. They use the same, similar equipment and similar, um, you know, ingredients. So we've done a bunch of that. I mean, wine would be the next natural progression, I think, for us. Um, mm. And so, yeah, there's potential out there. Right. Surprise. We're, we're working on a different project right now. I think I mentioned it to you earlier before the call, but um, we're working on a. We've actually patented and trademarked. It's in the process right now. Um, it's called Palette Parka, and it's going to be a insulated palette cover that's specific for the, the beverage industry. So it's modular. Um, it's able to go up and down based on the height of the palette if you're stacking kegs or cans. And it, it, and it keeps a beverage cool below, you know, in a certain temperature range um, during transit. And it could be transported on a dry truck as opposed to paying four to five times as much to ship on a refrigerated truck. Wow. And so. this is going to be, this is a patented material? Yep. Well, the, the design and, and the whole concept is, is patented, um, and we're in the process. We've, we've got some prototypes done. Um, we have a couple companies we're talking with right now to finalize production. Um, and I know, obviously, for us, we have tons of distributor contacts and breweries that are, you know, knocking on our door saying, "When is this thing ready?" We're just making sure it's perfect. But all the testing we've done so far has been amazing. Um, we've shipped beer from Charlotte to LA. We've shipped beer from Charlotte to Miami, um, and the beer is stated at an optimal temperature. Wow. in transit on a dry truck and we're talking like so let, just to put it in perspective if a guy's shipping a pallet of beer from charlotte to 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 la it might cost 2500 bucks to ship on a, on a refrigerated truck we can do it on a dry truck for 450 bucks essentially so <laughs> with our pallet cover wow. so i mean you're talking massive savings for guys 80 yeah, percent plus savings yep that's incredible that's really so. cool. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking also another guy, Ryan Florio, the owner of Inca Tea here in Cleveland. He's got kombucha too, so maybe that's someone else I can link you up with. I've got all these things. See, look at all these things that come about. Link me up, man. This you know a lot of people, man. Yeah. So you're uh, you're a good you're a good connection. You have, you have tons of connections all over, man. That's why <laughs> you and I have stayed in touch over the years, right? That's right. We go back. We go back a ways, man. We used to have some good times. A lot of fun. Before- I remember. I remember actually a funny story real quick of you. I remember kind of being a little intimidated by you and. Uh, some of your other buddies in the neighborhood because we used to come over to my cousin's house who was lives somewhat close to you and you guys were a couple years older than us and you guys used to beat us down in football man i would come home all bruised and i, I was like man we have to go play those guys again <laughs> those guys we were probably yeah. so tiny too back looking back right yeah we're probably so 80 funny. pounds soaking wet but yeah. i was probably 60 we had some good times man uh oh, yeah. before before adulthood had to really kick in between kids and you know married life careers all that kind of stuff but uh you'll have to let me know when you're in town next uh once once this crazy covid stuff is is over with i i can't believe that um that you guys have actually grown 30 percent in 2020 year over year that's that's really impressive yeah i mean it's really just been you know i i think a lot of it too is is a lot of these breweries are just transitioning their 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 business model from being in tap you know tap room focused to being to sending stuff to distributors and also people are able to buy and take out beer right so that they just transitioned their business model and adapted really well so for us that just means more cans more kegs um still people are there some guys are producing more beer now than they ever were because they're using distributors now so i think that's part of it um and then you know our sales team and my partner and i have just really been you know pounding the pavement just trying to keep things going and and it's worked out so last thing uh when you look into your crystal ball i mean the technologies keep changing there's all these different ways to get your word out there marketing branding 
even just um, leveraging your business model in some kind of technological way. H how do you see this business scaling over the next five or ten years? Um, yeah, I think I think um, with our with our current network, obviously it's going to continue to grow. But I think um, you know, in, in the addition of our pallet park, we're going to see more. We're going to see more organic growth, but. Um, and as far as the technology piece goes, I think, um, you know, some of the, uh, some of the, the ways we're doing things now in trucking and transportation are still pretty, pretty antiquated, pretty antiquated. And there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, people talk about these, this Uber freight and these different technological advances in freight and logistics space, but no one's really nailed it down. So I think you're going to see some sort of, um, some change in that space, whether or not it's, you know, automated vehicles or, you know, Amazon using drones to deliver things. I think you're going to see some stuff like that over the next five to 10 years. But mm. in our space in particular, I think, um, just, just continuing to make things automated. I mean, people, brewers and guys that are in warehouses, distrib distribution warehouses, they don't want to sit at a computer. They don't want to sit down and, f and manage their freight. They want to literally jump on their iPhone and hit an app and say, all right, brew movers are ready to rock. Let's there go pick right. the beer up and they're done. Yep, 10 seconds later, it's it. over. So yep. I think that's where we're heading and that's what we're working on. That's beautiful. I think you're spot on. And if, if you could get that, dude, uh, you'll be 10x from where you are right now in, in a matter of no time. Uh, we <laughs> will link up We will look, link up brew movers. I'll link a, a link to the Forbes article, which is really cool to get, a, get an insight into Brandon and his company. And uh, check him out, brewmovers.com. And I assume that you've got all your contacts through the website. Yep, everything should be on there. Hey, brother. I'm so happy you're doing well, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Awesome. Thanks, Nate. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. You got it, buddy. Take all care. Right, bye.